Good evening. It's seven o'clock and time now for In Context with Patrick Boynes. Well, good evening. It's great to have you with us and welcome once again to In Context. Yes, this is the radio show where we look at the scriptures and where we'll always aim to look at things within their context. You can find us here on Internet Radio by going to truthfm.uk and clicking on the link to listen. Or you can uh, find us on the Truth.fm app. Look for truthfm.uk when you are there. But it's jolly good to have you here with us again once more. My name is Patrick. I am a follower of Jesus of Nazareth. He is my teacher and I'm learning to follow him throughout every moment of life's journey. And we're all on a journey. Well, this evening we're on a journey through the writings of Luke. The last time we were together, if you were with us, you might recall, we were together with Mary and Elizabeth somewhere in the hill country of Judea, and we listened to Mary's most beautiful song of praise, the one we sometimes call the Magnificat. And then Mary headed back home to Nazareth in Galilee. But we need to return south this evening to the home of Elizabeth and Zechariah because the time has now come for their baby to be born. Well, you might remember the particularly unusual circumstances in which Elizabeth conceived. Both she and her husband were, and uh, at the time of um, you know reading this evening, were well advanced in years, as they say, and she had been unable to have any children. That is, until God intervened and took away what was seen as her disgrace by allowing her to conceive. And you might also remember that particularly bizarre scene which played out in the temple in Jerusalem some nine months or so earlier, in which the father, Zechariah, had been struck dumb due to his unbelief on hearing the message from God. Well, by now he was well and truly a believer in the power of God, and the birth of this baby boy was to be yet another occasion where the theme of promise and fulfillment is woven into the text of Luke's writings. So let's pick up the text at this point. Now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth, and she bore a son. And her neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. And on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child. 
and they would have called him Zechariah after his father. But his mother answered, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, None of your relatives is called by this name. And they made signs to his father, inquiring what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they all wondered. And immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbours, and all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. Well, as marvellous as this is, and it is indeed uh, truly marvellous, all seems to have gone just as we might have expected. At the beginning of this infancy narrative, the attention had been on Zechariah the priest whilst he was in the temple. Now our attention is upon Elizabeth, the mother, and maybe this isn't particularly surprising when recording a birth, but the emphasis seems to be on the fact that the Lord had shown great mercy to her. Luke has a great deal to say about mercy, and though word counts can be useful in our reading and understanding of Scripture, the theme of mercy and compassion runs deep throughout his writings, even when those words are not specifically used. But of the ten times Luke specifically uses the word for mercy, half of these are in the first chapter alone. Two are found in the Song of Mary and two in the hymn or psalm of Zechariah, which we'll look at in a moment. And here, following the birth of their son, we are told that Elizabeth's neighbours and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy to her, and they rejoiced with her. Yes, the God of Zechariah and Elizabeth is indeed full of mercy. Well, next came the circumcision and the naming of the child, and it was seemingly common practice for the first male child to be named after his father. And so, just as they were about to name him Zechariah, his mother let it be known that he was to be called John. Well, this evidently caused a, a degree of confusion, and so they decided to ask for a second opinion. Well, this whole scene appears to be somewhat amusing, although it does raise a certain curiosity. 
We know that Zechariah had been unable to speak ever since the appearance of the messenger in the temple. But here Luke tells us that they made signs to him, suggesting that he was perhaps also unable to hear. Indeed, this is not unlikely. The word used during the episode in the temple can mean both mute and deaf. And the fact that they now feel the need to make signs to Zechariah, asking what he wanted his son to be called, would suggest that this was the case. That not only was he struck dumb, but he was also... Uh, unable to hear anything for the uh, uh, the next nine months or so. And I suppose he was going to have to get used to, uh, at once his hearing was restored, listening to uh, the sweet sounds of his, uh, of his baby son. But more of that perhaps in a moment. As I suggested, I think this does appear to be rather amusing. Presumably, uh, by making appropriate gestures himself, being unable to speak, Zechariah asks for a writing tablet, which was probably a, a wooden tablet covered with wax on which he would scratch with a, a pointed instrument. And um, there he uh, would have scratched... His name is John. Well, the name of John, a shortened form of the Hebrew Johanan, uh, means God's gracious gift. And uh, it's been observed that in this first mention of writing within the New Testament scriptures, the subject is one of grace, of God's gracious gift. It's also been noted that in being faithful to God, we must often go against the wishes and maybe advice of those around us. Well, just as God had been faithful in fulfilling his promise of giving this elderly couple a son, so they demonstrate their faithfulness in naming him John, as the angel had instructed or foretold. Remember, he had said, you shall call his name John. And he had said, many will rejoice at his birth, and you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place. And so now, uh, having named him John, immediately, Luke tells us, his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, blessing God. I think it's worth noticing the reaction of the neighbours. Luke tells us that they were filled with fear, and all of these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea, and all who heard them laid them up in their hearts, saying, what then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. 
You recall there had been crowds in Jerusalem who had witnessed the dumb priest leaving the temple. Now there are many in the hill country of Judea speaking of these things and laying them up in their hearts. You know, one wonders how much of this was remembered some thirty years later when John was to burst onto the public scene as the prophet who came to prepare the way of the Lord. Well, we know for sure that the seeds of anticipation were being sown and many there were that pondered on these things. And in all of this, Luke tells us, God's hand is at work, a phrase that is used by Luke in his second volume of the book of Acts, where he speaks a great deal of the hand of God being at work among the people of God. But next we uh, turn our attention to um, listen to Zechariah, the father of John, whose tongue has now been set free. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers, and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Isn't that amazing? As was his son John, and his wife Elizabeth, so Zechariah is now also filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, we cannot help 
but notice the significance of the work of the Spirit of God in these pages. Here, the Spirit led Zechariah to prophesy, and he does so in a poetic fashion. And whether we call this a song or a psalm, it's second, the second of the three hymns of the infancy narratives of Luke's gospel. And it's often known as the Benedictus, another word we've borrowed from the Latin. Well, where Mary's song, the Magnificat had been personal and full of praise for what God had done. This song of Zechariah, the Benedictus, is universal and more forward-looking. The plan of God is seen as coming to fulfilment through both the Messiah and also through the prophet who will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. Luke mentions David six times in this infancy narrative, clearly establishing Jesus as the promised Messiah of the line of David. He speaks of God raising up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Uh, that's an interesting phrase, perhaps, but a horn was an image of strength. The, uh, the horns of an ox are used both for protection and for defeating opponents. And this horn of salvation is from David. I want us now to listen to uh, a reading by David Suchet from Second Samuel chapter 22, in which King David sings to the Lord. And, and notice, um, as we listen to this reading, a number of similarities to the song of Zechariah, particularly the use of this image of the horn of my salvation. David sang to the Lord the words of this song, when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my saviour. From violent people you save me. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise and have been saved from my enemies. One writer has suggested that this hymn, that is the hymn of Zechariah, the, the Benedictus, if you like, that it offers a divine commentary on God's plan. 
There's a, a strong sense of fulfilment here as Zechariah praises God for having acted according to his word. Uh, note the use of phrases such as uh, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets or um, that which was promised to our fathers uh, to, to remember his holy covenant. He speaks of the oath that he swore to our father Abraham, um, the same oath mentioned also by Mary in her song. The work of the Lord is spoken of in terms of fulfilling prophecies. All that God has said he will do. And then Luke concludes uh, this infancy narrative, speaking of John, that the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. And yet again, how we might wish that Luke had told us so much more. Uh, maybe we can only suppose with uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth being uh, of great age, maybe they didn't hang around too much longer. And John seems as if he spends most of his uh, growing up years there in the wilderness. Well, hmm. Ah, that's the sound of the mission bell, meaning, as you may well know by now, it's our mission segment of the week. Time to consider what implications for mission there might be in the passage we're looking at each Monday evening. And remember, when we think of mission, we want always to be thinking first of the mission of God. And then we want to consider our place within that. And as we've probably said before, it's not the people of God who have a mission. It's the mission of God that has a people. Uh, well, as I was reading through this song of Zechariah, a passage which I think is generally tragically neglected, I was thinking of the ways in which we might read scripture. And there are all sorts of ways in which we might read scripture. For example, we could read it exegetically, um, asking what does the passage say? What did it say to those to whom it was first written? And what have you. We might read scripture devotionally, you know, asking, how might this passage draw me closer to God? Uh, we could even read scripture, at least some scripture, geographically. I've been uh, teaching a class. In fact, I'm about to do so in another half hour or so every Monday evening on the book of Acts. And uh, it's certainly uh, not difficult to read the book of Acts geographically. 
And all of these are valid when taken together, but perhaps we need also learn to read the scripture missiologically, that is, with an eye to the mission of God. We want to be reading scripture with a view to seeing God's purpose in creating all things. To read it with a view to seeing God's purpose for human life in general. To read with a view to seeing God's election of Israel as his people. To read with a view to seeing God's purpose in sending Jesus. To read scripture with a view to seeing God's purpose in calling out his people even today. One of the things that Luke has been doing so far and will continue to do, one of the things he's been doing is to set the events of which he is writing deep in the mind of God. That is to say, the drama which has been unfolding is the, the dramatization of all that God has been anticipating all along. Everything that is happening is happening as fulfillment of all that has been spoken long ago by the prophets. And this is really important for us to understand because it is, it's vital that we understand the life and message and work of Jesus as being the fulfillment of God's purpose in the history of everything. So when Theophilus reads these writings of Luke, he does so with an understanding uh, that this isn't the beginning of some new religion. Uh, it, it isn't simply an alternative philosophy competing with those of the world around him. No, this is quite simply what everything is all about and is what everything in the past has been pointing towards. In this sense, the song of Zechariah, the, the song of this Jewish priest, should be seen as a crucial link between past salvation history and the coming salvation in the coming of the son of David. You know, the world has been bathed in darkness and its people lost in the shadow of death. But now the sun is set to rise from on high and will guide our feet in the way of peace in holiness and in righteousness, all the days of our lives. And as we come to read these writings of Luke today, we do so with an understanding that this is what everything 
is all about. It's what everything has always been about. As the companion of Luke will later write, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Well, as we come to the end of yet another week's edition of In Context, I really would like you to let me know your thoughts. Um, you can uh, uh, you can message us on Facebook. Look for the truthfm.uk page, and um, uh, you can tweet us at truthfm.uk or you can email me at patrick at truthfm.uk and um, really I would love to hear from you but uh, until next week let me wish you every blessing from above may God the father of all mercies. May he bless us abundantly so that we might be a blessing to those around us. So thank you. Thank you for being with us this evening. Mm -hmm.